0: Welcome to the Send and Grow podcast. I'm your host, Louis Nichols. In my day job at Sparkloop, I spend all my time helping the best newsletter operators and media brands in the world to grow their audiences. So I get to see firsthand what growth tactics, strategies, and channels actually work, which ones you should copy, and what mistakes you should avoid. And now with this podcast, you get that access too. Every week I sit down with a different guest from industry experts to successful operators, and we go deep on the stuff that you need to know so you can become really effective at growing and monetizing your email audience. Today I'm joined on the podcast by Sophia Patton. Sophia is head of events at Workweek where she plans and runs all kinds of different events, both for the Workweek brand and for their individual newsletter creators. Events are a super hot button topic for newsletter operators right now with the potential to grow community, boost audience growth, and add completely new revenue streams. Sophia, can you kick things off for us by sharing how you got into the events industry in the first place?
1: So my background comes from like a TV production and event production background, so I have experience working for the Oprah Winfrey network. I worked on TV shows for MTV. I also produced events for Nike, Netflix, Apple. It's kind of been all around the gamut. I can do really small events for like a $1,200, 1500 budget, or I've flexed up to like $2 million budget. So I'm kind of all across the board there. But a very detailed, I really work on like pre-production. I like to plan prior to the event as much as I can. So I'd like to think that's part of why Workweek hired me, but who's to say?
0: Yeah, well, maybe you can tell me a little bit about some of the events that you have run already. Can you can you give the listeners an idea of what a typical, is there a typical Workweek event firstly, and, and what does that look like if there is?
1: Yeah, and we kind of have like three different tiers that we're going after. So we have kind of your grassroots community effort type event, where it's really just a networking opportunity for people to really meet each other in that respective space. And, you know, super low budget from a production perspective. So maybe we have two microphones, a speaker, we have pizza and beer, we have maybe some stickers for people to take home, but the production value is low. But I think What's really important about these is the content. It really brings people together if there is good, valuable content there. So that's kind of our first tier. Our second tier is more of like a pre-produced speaking event. So we just had our first big workweek FinTech is Femme event in New York City a couple weeks ago at the Roxy Hotel. It was a huge success with our... uh, what the FinTech host, Nicole Casperson. So we had nine women from the FinTech space all across the country fly in and share their stories of being in the FinTech community and like what it feels like to be a woman in that space, which is typically very male dominated. And it was just a really amazing, like warm and fuzzy, like, magical night. I keep saying there's like a lot of really strong lady energy there, which was really fun to be a part of. So that's kind of our second tier. Um, We call those like the storytelling events. And then we have a third tier, which is more like a targeted, curated experience for like an executive level type person. So think CEOs or head of marketing or head of content, like those types of people sitting in a room and like a smaller, more curated experience with like 20 to 40 people. And then on top of that, we want to do more like a toned down version of that with like a curated dinner. So that's kind of our tier of events.
0: Wow, yeah, I can't wait to, to dig into to some of those different, different types of events. Maybe before we do that though, sort of why are you running events in the first place at Workweek?
1: I think events really help kind of like bring a brand to life because as like in 2022, we can just absorb so much content online, like sitting on our phone or sitting on our computer. And I really think there's something to be said about bringing people who are interested in that content together in like finite space where you can like meet each other and learn about each other's backgrounds and like feel the energy of the room. I think especially after the last couple of years of us all being locked in our houses, it's really, and I don't know about you, Lewis, but like for me, it's really important to have that like human connection, like. It has, I just, I've realized in the last couple of years, especially for the, you know, 18 months that I wasn't throwing events because no one was leaving their house. Like it's so important and beneficial to have that like human connection. And I also think it's a really nice way to like flex creativity with events. Like, of course, like with an online brand, you can see like their logo or, they're fine but like with events you can really bring it to life through like signage and drinks and like giveaways and like stuff that is more tangible so that's why we're doing events because they are just I I think they're the best but obviously I'm biased
0: <laughs> yeah no totally how do you sort of relate it to the the business goals and like are the events are they paid is this a revenue driver is this like an audience growth driver is this is it part of yeah yeah, where does this come in do you have sponsors who are taking part
1: yeah so as i'm sure many of the listeners know that our events related maybe they're not events are very expensive like they have a very high cost of goods to get started so like Obviously, depending on the level event, like I said, we can do a really cheap, low production event. But if you want it to kind of stand out and look cool and feel like an experience, you have to put some money into it. And so, for us being so new and so young, we're really trying to get sponsors in the door to like help us put money in the bank to throw these events. So, yes, the goal is ultimately to get sponsors. But at the end of the day, It's really just about building our subscriber base and like ultimately people are like if we can build up a base of people attending, let's say like a free event over the next couple of years, we think with all of those people who have attended those events, we can have hopefully in the farther future, like much bigger events with that sort of following.
0: Awesome. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. One thing that always strikes me about events, and I'd, I'd love to get your take on this, the the challenge with newsletters or a podcast, or, you know, most of the ways that your creators produce content, it's one to one, or it's one to many, like you as the the audience, as the reader, you hear from the creator, everybody hears from the creator, you can respond, maybe the creator will reply back to you. So you can have like a one on one conversation. But your opportunities as an audience member to connect with other people in the audience are super limited. And it seems to me like events are probably one of the, the only ways that you can sort of get around that and have people meet each other and sort of provide value to each other without having to have that one sort of creator in the middle, pushing everything in every direction, I guess.
1: That was something that really stuck out to me at our FinTech is Fem event in New York City like, of course, Nicole was there. And then the eight, nine other speakers were there like mixing it up in the crowd afterwards. But the amount of connections I was witnessing just in the like cocktail hour afterwards, like all these different women were like, Oh, you work in fashion, I work in fashion, like, let's meet up for coffee next week and figure something out for how to work together. And I really do think like, there's something to be said about you know, the creator represents their brand and the type of people that attend their events ultimately are interested or like their brand. And so they're going to kind of reflect the brand by attending. What's cool about my position at Work Week is I have this ability to really like cater and like create within each brand and really tailor each event to the creator and their audience. And that's been like one of the most fun challenges is like, I really get to be creative about like the wolf who has like a franchise creator brand versus like Nicole's what the FinTech and like, she has like a very feminine mood board and like female power. And then the wolf is more like urban and fun and playful. And it's really cool to like play with those different sorts of brands.
0: Interesting. Yeah. So everything has to be to be unique and, and to fit the audience and, and the brand. How do you do that then? What's, can, you, can you walk me through like the process of, of how you sort of come up with what the right event would be?
1: First off, like it's really important for the creator to weigh in on like what their vibe and vision is. And so typically from like the very base level, I'll do a one-on-one with them and just kind of like brainstorm different color schemes or different photos or different like themes that they're going for. And then from there, I'll put together like a a mood board, if you will, of just like, you know, I'll literally just sit on Pinterest and like pull different photo ideas and like colors together. And that is like one of my favorite parts of the job because it really allows me to flex my creative brain. And so we'll send it to the creator and, you know, they take a look like, oh, this is awesome. Or like, "Mm, maybe I'm going for more of a black and white theme or whatever. And so from there, we ultimately will determine like once we've established the vibe, which I think is the most important part of event. And I I also think something that's really setting work week apart from a lot of other events is like, we are not just trying to have like, pop up table events at like, a convention center like we want to make it feel cool and intimate and an experience so once we determine the vibe then we really go through like who what when where why so like who's who do we want to be there what is the event going to be most importantly like how much money do we have to put towards it because that ultimately determines how much we can do with it (laughs) and then like you know, what's the content going to be? So I guess like, why are people coming to this event? And then I personally think the most valuable part of event production is like projecting a really strong estimated budget. So putting together like all the things I think are going to be needed or included in the event. And then what's really fun for me at the end of the event is going through and figuring out like, oh, wow, my predictions (laughs) were like pretty accurate. And I've Like in our last event, I estimated I was only off by like $600 when we ended up coming in under. So I was like, nice. I like, I know what I'm doing. (laughs) So yeah, really just figuring out the audience, where is it going to be? How much money do we have? And when do we want it to happen?
0: I guess one thing that obviously I wouldn't be affected by this because if I host an event everybody shows up and you know I never have any troubles with with getting lots of people to show up (laughs) but I can imagine a hypothetical person who maybe isn't as like naturally sort of great at attracting crowds as I am would maybe have concerns and be like well if I go to all this effort of like planning an event and announcing an event how do I know if people are even going to show up how do you handle that with the creators and sort of like Especially for the more expensive events where maybe with a newsletter audience, you really don't know where everyone is. I mean, they might all be living on the completely wrong coast to where where you're putting the event on. How do you sort of work all that stuff out in advance and say, well, we probably need to budget for 50 people versus 500 people? How how do you approach that?
1: That has been a really interesting thing to navigate in this, if we can call it like post-COVID events world, because what I've been noticing is like some cities are way more apt to show up to a free event than others. For example, I hail from the city of Los Angeles and I will fully admit that LA people tend to be really flaky. And so we had an LA event a couple months ago and we had much less people show up than we expected. But I think what's what's like hard to kind of, take away from it is like, do you blame it on the traffic? Do you blame it on COVID? Do you blame it on being a free event? Like, it's really hard to kind of determine what the reason is for people not showing up. Do you blame it on not having enough runway for people to know about the event or whatever. But I think when it comes to like, newcomers to the events world, who are really trying to get their brand out there even if there's five to 10 people showing up at your first few events, like, hell yeah, that's awesome. You at least are, you know, like you're slowly creating a grassroots community and inviting people into your your little world, if you will. And I think events can be very stressful, as I'm sure some people know, some people also think like oh events are super easy i can just throw one together but i think there's no way to know unless you just try and i would say start with like very low amount of money like you don't want to spend ten thousand dollars on your first event and then 20 people show up so i would say start with just like very grassroots efforts of like networking happy hours or some sort of like interview that people get to watch but start small and like i said it it, of course there is a little bit of confidence that goes into it but at the end of the day it's just all about like getting the word out there getting your brand out there so that just takes time
0: yeah i love that i also love we're in that fun space now for events where we are post-covid but also pre box. So this is like the the golden era right now. We have <laughs> oh a couple God. of weeks. Everybody, go and, go and run your events now before it's what too late.
1: What can I do in the next four weeks?
0: <laughs> exactly. Hopefully not. Fingers crossed. Anyway, yeah. So we're talking there about the events, about sort of trying to estimate how many people are going to come in. And you already touched a little bit on sort of the, the predicted budget and seeing how that turns out mm-hmm. and you know, trying to be on track there. What are the other things that you and the team are looking at after an event to sort of su- to assess, has it been a success or not? How do you define whether an event was sort of successful?
1: I think at the heart of it, it's like, how did people feel leaving the event? Like, what was the buzz in the 24 hours after the event? And I think just naturally, especially in this post-COVID landscape, like, people get really excited to be in person now. And so maybe it's like the scale has turned a little bit one way as far as like gauging that, if you will. But I think I think ultimately like budget, of course, is like did we stay within our means of our budget financially? Second, like are people talking about it? What's the, What's the feedback from the next – you know, the few days following the event, is there momentum around like doing more of these? And then what was really cool about our FinTech is Fem event a couple of weeks ago is we had sponsors that I didn't even know were at the event, like coming up to me being like, how do we throw money at this? Like, we want to make this huge, tell us where to sign on the dotted line. And so I I feel like that's like, a sign of a successful event like people want to help you succeed and help you grow it and so that that was really awesome to be a part of
0: awesome how much of the sort of the the audience feedback do you take in before and and after or, or even during the event as well are you sort of sending out surveys afterwards, asking what people liked, what they could improve, or how much of that is just sort of like gut instinct and experience and, and and sort of knowing the right thing to do.
1: I think what's tricky about a paid event is like, you know, with a paid event where you only have a certain amount of seats, like you really have to gauge like how many tickets you're going to sell versus how many you think will show up. And there is a little bit of like a science to it determining like, you know cuz our fintech is fem event sold out within 2 weeks and we had people hitting us up every other day being like how do i get a ticket to this how do i get a ticket to this and so like at the end of the day figuring out how many people can you invite how many people will be there and then with the people that were there reaching out to them and being like what did you like where could we do better i'm all about like a postmortem for each event that I throw and figuring out like where's room for improvement how can we make this like a smoother transition or how can we make this more fruitful for the attendee and so definitely gauging that from our audience is really important to me because at the end of the day your audience is your bread and butter that's who's coming to your events so you want to make sure you're doing right by them
0: totally totally if you're in let's say uh, the U.S. and you have an audience that's, you know, probably all across the US, maybe even international. How do you decide where to host? So not the actual like venue, but which city, which coast, which state? How do you work that out?
1: So with Work Week having so many different creators, we really have to take a look at like what is their content. For example, the Wolf is based in New York City, but franchisors are nationwide even globally and so figuring out like okay maybe a franchise event isn't necessarily best to host in new york city so we are hosting our first digital event for the wolf on the 23rd of june feel free to join it's free and you know like with nicole's event what the fintech her community is obviously nationwide, but a lot of the fintech space does take place in New York City, takes place in Miami, takes place in San Francisco. And so those are the cities that we're going to be targeting for her events, just because that's where a lot of her fintech community is. With other creators like healthcare, we just hosted a healthcare happy hour in New York City. We had a lot of people attend, which was really awesome. But I think you really have to look at like the content of each creator's brand and figure out like, you know, is this something that people will be interested to, to listen to online? Or is it better for like an in-person experience? And then from there, zooming in on like, which cities is cannabis really popular for our cannabis vertical? Well, in that case, we're going to look at like Southern California, the cannabis hub of America. So really just getting specific on like what the content is and then from there figuring out would this make more sense to be online or would it make more sense to be in a specific city in the country?
0: Yeah. How do you feel about online events then? Do you think we're we going to see a lot more of those even post-COVID?
1: So I personally think that digital events are a really great way like we were saying, to gain community across the country or world, if you will. So I think moving forward, like an events landscape, what I personally think is going to happen is going to be like a hybrid of the people that don't want to leave their house and then the people that do want to leave their house. And what's interesting from like a production perspective is that obviously really increases the budget and like to get a high value production team to like film and set up proper audio and make sure there's multi cameras. So it's not stale is expensive. And so that's definitely a cost that events are going to have to just ultimately determine, like, is this worth it? But I do think with like the people that Really and it maybe not even like a COVID concern, but just do I feel like leaving my house today? Like maybe not. I'm just gonna watch it from my couch. I think we're gonna see a lot of hybrid in-person and digital events.
0: That makes sense. And the interesting thing to me personally is like I feel like the last couple of years has there's been so much content produced either that you can just watch on demand or you can just plug in sort of any day and watch a a live conversation a live sort of interview or something like that so you can do all of that from home and i don't really like why would you need to go into a place you know shower put on nice clothes to go and sit somewhere to watch someone give that same thing that you could watch from in the bath right i wonder if or, or what you're seeing there around like the kind of events that work best offline being less the sort of the interviews and the speeches and the the talks and stuff and more the actual, I guess, fun stuff of like just meeting other people, doing more casual stuff like drinks or uh, happy hours and stuff like that.
1: I think you're absolutely right. And I think it really has to be worth it now for people to go to events because like you said, they can sit on their couch and listen to the streamed version of the event. And so like the experiential aspect of Events is really whether we want it to or not, like it's having to step up its game because people are just going to be like, Well, why I, I can listen to this speech on my couch and like be comfortable and not have to shower, like you said. So, yeah, it really has to be worth it. And with that comes, you know, more money, more pre planning, more production. But I also think a lot of companies, they've had to like forego a lot of their marketing dollars in the last couple of years, just from like last minute cancellations. And so hopefully pending the economy doesn't take a massive turn. I think a lot of companies are ready to like throw down and put some money into these events to make their brands stand out.
0: Yeah, I just love that. I think it's so so valuable. And one of the things I really like about the way that Workweek does these events is I've never been to a Workweek event yet or a physical one, but I see so much about them online. I see people who are organizing them, sort of talking about them in advance. And afterwards, I see people who are attending, posting about them before and afterwards. And it seems like that's something that Doesn't happen for every event and probably didn't happen by accident. So I don't know what, if you have any sort of tips or thoughts on like how to get people doing that. One that I saw that I really loved and I thought this was so smart that I hadn't really seen too much before was, this wasn't actually from a Workweek event. This is from, I think it was from Unspam, which is an email event that was in London. And they put together like a, basically like a photo booth with all the different props. And they had people, you know, coming through and taking like group photos and stuff. And obviously I've seen it, you know, at like weddings and festivals and stuff like that. I'd never seen it at a sort of a professional event before where you'd have people in like silly hats and all the stuff. And I thought that's kind of like the amount of people who are posting that stuff online. That must have been worth a lot to them to get people uh, doing that.
1: Well, and that's such a like low lift from a production perspective you can get a photo booth for you know sometimes as low as like five hundred dollars sometimes as expensive as ten thousand dollars so and that's such an easy way for people to share out your event and it's like it's fun we live in a content world where people want to see photos and they want to share out photos of experiences they've been to and so I think it's really, it's a really low lift and a really valuable thing to have. Definitely, I like make sure every event we have has some sort of photographer and or videographer. So that way we can like reuse the content for different purposes. But yeah, I, I love that. That's people, like I said, people just want to get out there and make sure they, if they are out there, make sure people know about it.
0: (laughs) What are some other tips then that you've seen that, that, work really well for sort of pre and, and post event for, for getting the word out there.
1: So I think what Nicole Kaskerson did a really good job of is kind of like teeing up each speaker that was going to be speaking at the event. And so we were really intentional about like having a whole branding packet of like, obviously the event title, but also like playing with imagery for each speaker and sharing that with them so they can share it out to their communities and then, Nicole was really great about, like, teeing up each speaker and, like, kind of, like, a little snackable, like, this is this person that's going to be at this event. This is a very small window into their story, like, here more at the event. And then also, I think, figuring out ways to make sure people know it's going to be a cool experience. And I also think there's a, there's a lot that goes into, like, the pre-production communication process. So... You never just want to have people sign up for an event and then they never know the event's even really happening until the day of and they get, like, a, a reminder email. Like, you want to make sure they're getting, like, hey, we're going to have this vendor or we're going to be doing this or we're going to be playing this kind of music, kind of, like, making it feel like a pre-production experience, if you will.
0: I love that. I love the way you used the word production a couple of times. I hadn't really thought about that in, like... together with events but it it does feel like a production I think that's a really smart way of sort of describing it that makes a lot of sense to me
1: and that's um a really interesting point because I like I said at the beginning I hail from a production background and so my brain really comes into events thinking like how can we make this cool how can we make it feel like production or an experience and I think that is maybe what sets apart our events from the others is like, we really want to make it feel like an experience. Like I said, we are not going for like the trade show to pop up tables and like some free key chains at a convention center. Like we want to make it feel like an experience. We want to make it feel cool. And it's all about like, you know, Producing an event is definitely a team effort and it's a lot of work, but if you can get the right people lined up to do their job pre-event, during event, post-event, it's always, it's a success always.
0: Yeah. Awesome. So what are some of the mistakes that people will make that will make it not a success?
1: So two things really stick out in my mind. I think people tend to think like, Oh, like, it's easy to attend an event, right? Like it's just you sign up, you show up, and then you leave. I think people that attend a lot of events, some people tend to think, oh, it's really easy to throw an event myself. Like I can just do this on the fly. And of course, it there are parts of it that can be easy, but there's also so many little things that can go wrong. And so if you can really hone in on like the pre planning process. So what I do is I create a work back schedule. So essentially, I'm creating a backwards list of like, okay, starting in the next week, I need to have the following things done. In the next two weeks, I need to have the following things done. And it really keeps me on task of like all the things I need to get done. And I think the more pre planning you can do for your event, the better. It's going to be because you know showing up to an event that i mean even with like weddings you show up to weddings that don't have as much pre-planning you can tell like there's you can just tell when things are not like the eyes aren't dotted and the t's aren't crossed you just know and so i being like an event producer it's really really important to me to like pre-plan as many details as possible. And then I think alternatively, I know I keep talking about the budgets, but like, it's so easy to explode a budget with like a couple of off the cuff decisions. So like, you really have to think through like, what is the max amount of money I can spend on this and then try and work under that number? Because it's really and also like updating your budget throughout the event so like i'm really diligent about any single any time i spend anything i'm updating my budget so going in and just making sure like those costs are being recorded because it's easy to just oh it's like last minute oh we need we need this cake or we need a bigger sign or we need lighting and it just like things can like spin out of control and so really being diligent about your money how much money you have to play with and ultimately like if you want to make money off of the event like working within those numbers.
0: What are some of the places that you think I guess when it comes to staying in budget that like where are the places that you would say you absolutely shouldn't try and skip try and save and like cut corners and where are some of the places that you you maybe can a little bit?
1: I think people really underestimate the the value of like good sound and good lighting. If you have like one tiny little speaker and like, excuse my language, like a shitty microphone, it really makes a difference. And so obviously depends on like the level of the event. But I think if you're producing a, a large event, like I would definitely not cut corners on the venue the the av like that's so huge to me and then also the content so if you're having to pay for speakers to be there which we have not run into that at this point but i think the content is like the biggest takeaway from any event like you really want you want people like, yes, you can have so many cool bells and whistles to the event. But if the content is like one big sales pitch, and it's not really tugging at people's heartstrings, or making them feel like they're learning something then I would say, reevaluate your entire event. So yeah, lighting, venue and content. I think as far as like, do you need premium shelf liquor if you're trying to save money? No. Like there there's where you can cut corners. Like do you need a huge like charcuterie spread? No, you can kind of like you can kind of cut down in those areas, I think.
0: Although if you have a lot of premium shelf liquor then the lighting doesn't need to be quite as good and people don't notice the uh, <laughs> the, the bad audio, I suppose. That's-
1: a really good point. So Just maybe that. we'll have two types of events <laughs> and see which one's more of a success.
0: Gives <laughs> people are, 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 are an interesting insight into what future Spark Loop events will, will look like. Something that I would love to get an idea, uh, an idea from you, and I, I know this is going to be super hard because we are post pandemic, hopefully not pre monkeypox, but a lot of things are changing. We have the, the economic situation, which isn't looking amazing right now. A lot of things could happen. Yep. That all said, If you were forced to, what are some of your sort of predictions, thoughts on where the event space is going, especially for newsletters and media brands?
1: Kind of what I was saying earlier, I think a lot of companies are sick of like sitting by the wayside and waiting for this pandemic to blow over. And so if they have the marketing spend, I think you're going to really see companies send it, for lack of a better word, and like throw really big productions I'm I'm seeing a huge trend in like art coming into the centerfold of events like it feels like a lot of corporations and big companies are are really taking a stab at bringing like creativity into their events and like content that is heartfelt and not necessarily not necessarily just like business focused and so I'm really, I'm excited to see just the future of like what this creative realm of events looks like in this post pandemic world. And like I said, a lot of companies have really let go of a lot of their marketing dollars in the last couple of years. And hopefully that doesn't uh, happen in the future, but I'm hoping people can really like blow it up and get creative with what. Now that we can leave our houses and hopefully get off of our couches.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for you know coming in and sharing that with us. I think you know I'll, I'll leave with a question that I, I sort of always finish up on is you know you're the expert on this. I've tried to ask the questions. Is there any question that I should have asked you? You think that I didn't?
1: You honestly are a really really good interviewer. Um, you I asked so. really great questions, but I think. Actually, you know what? You stumped me.
0: I mean, I know what I wanted to ask just to, just to, because I'm weird and awkward, is I wanted to immediately jump in and ask, um, well, which weddings would you say didn't spend too much that you went to didn't <laughs> spend enough on the uh, the production value? <laughs> so, um,
1: name from names. From a wedding perspective, I actually produced my own wedding. And even me being an event producer, like you really should get your own coordinator, even for like the week of, just because... There's so many, even and not even from like a wedding perspective, just an event perspective. It's really important to have someone on site that you know will just like take care of any small detail, whether it be like picking up the trash that's on stage or like turn, making sure the lights are dimmed or like it's really important to have an event person that you trust, that's detailed, that's going to go the extra mile because... Like at the end of the day, the lights, like people leave the event and then you need someone there to like make sure everything is cleaned up. You need to make sure things are like returned to their proper location. So if you are in the hiring business for an events person I would say like really make sure that they are detailed and will go the extra mile for you.
0: Awesome, I think that actually does lead me into one final question if you don't mind. When should someone consider hiring externally for an event producer, an event manager versus doing it themselves? I'm guessing there is a budget at which that doesn't make sense. And there's a budget at which it makes way more sense to work with someone who's done it before and who has contacts and who can organize all this mm-hmm. stuff. So
1: so the freelance market for event producers is booming. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but like, it's really, really hard to find really great freelance event producers right now, just because there's so many events happening now and so many people are booked out. So I would say, if it's like a low level happy hour, where maybe you're doing some sort of live interview, I don't think you need an event producer brought in like, I think that's something you can do yourself. And obviously, there will be learning lessons around like the successes of it and like what's working, what's not. I think where it gets trickier and where you need someone more experienced is like when it comes to like pre-produced content, even just thinking through like the logistics of the um, speakers that were coming to our FinTech is fem event, there's a lot of pre-planning that goes into like, what should they be talking about? When are they going to be landing in New York City? Like, where are they going to be staying? What time do they need to arrive for like the dress rehearsal? And so if if that feels kind of like out of your bandwidth from a production and planning perspective, I would say bring in someone who has more experience. And also, ultimately, if you are throwing an event and you really just want to socialize, you don't want to have to worry about like, when are the drinks coming out or when is the food going to be ready or is the music loud enough, then I would say hire someone or bring someone on to help because... When I'm working and producing events, like, I'm not really there to be, like, (laughs) chumming it up and, like, making connections. Obviously, there's a point in the evening where, like, I know everything is going off without a hitch. But if you don't want to be, like, doing the heavy lifting throughout the event or before, definitely do yourself a favor and hire someone because it's a lot of work.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I, I didn't think about that, actually. It's, it's so true. If you're the creator or if you're the publisher, you're probably who a lot of people are there to see. They will want to speak to you and uh, spend time with you. And if you're running around trying to fill up people's drinks, it's going to be a yeah, a pretty frustrating yeah. experience and a pretty hectic one.
1: Well, and that's what's really cool about the Workweek model is like I never have the desire to be a creator. I don't want to be in the limelight. Like I would much prefer being like the producer in the background that's like making the creator look amazing and sound amazing and like all you know all the production value is there she said so so the podcast I guess <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I think but ultimately like determine really like which kind of person do you want to be do you want to be behind the scenes making sure it's going off or do you want to be like out there? Do you want to be the star? Do you want to be the limelight? And then from there determining which, you know, do I need to hire someone or can I do this myself?
0: Awesome. Well, I think it's an amazing place to end it. Where can people find more about you and about Workweek and about, you know, anywhere you think they should go if they'd like to, to find out more.
1: So workweek.com is our website. You can subscribe to every single one of our newsletters on there. My Twitter handle is Sophia Patton, P A T T E N 22. And I, I mean, I just want to leave. I cannot say enough good things about Adam Ryan and Becca Sherman running Workweek. They are just the coolest, most intentional, thoughtful, like leaders in our company. And I'm just really, really proud and happy to be working for them. So. Thank you for having me, Lewis. This was really
0: fun. Yeah. Thanks for joining me. It's been great. It's been super useful and uh, yeah, I'm excited to see some of those events and hopefully maybe find my way to one of them in the future as well. Thanks for listening to this episode of the send and grow podcast. If you liked what you heard, here are three quick ways that you can show your support. Number one, leave us a five-star rating or review in the podcast app of your choice. Number two, email or DM me with some feedback with your questions or with suggestions for future episodes. And finally, number three, share your favorite quote from the episode on social media and tag both me and our guest. All of the links for that are available in the show notes and whatever option you choose, I am really grateful for your support. Thanks and see you next week.